Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers. Jared, man, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. We took a, we took a little time off and, and here you are, but uh, glad to have Jared Ty with me. And this is Breaking Business episode number 97, JT. So we're at 97. We've got a very special guest, an entrepreneur, and he's going to talk about a couple forks on the road, really. And you may ask uh, here soon, so we'll get, we'll address it quickly. Yes, Jared is on oxygen, or excuse me, Jeff is on oxygen, and we're going to tell you why. And there's a very important message. We're going to stay within the framework of business, breaking business barriers, but there's a really, really important message here that Jeff would like to share along with uh, Jared and myself. I think it's critical, of, especially over the last year, year and a half of what the world has gone through. So, Jeff, glad to, glad to have you here, brother. Thanks for having me, Brent. Long time no see. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Uh, for those of you uh, watching, you know, I'm originally from South Dakota. Uh, Jeff and I first met in 1985, so that dates us. We were like two years old or so and, and early entrance into college. We were fraternity brothers at Delta Tau Delta, so we've uh, we've been we've been uh, we've known each other for a long time, and we have a lot of stories of uh, those days of being a Delton and going going through school. Well, let's let's get to it. Let's let's first talk about why I first reached out, and and it is really a one A one B, Jeff. And you understand if you got to us, uh, you know, take take a minute to catch your breath. Please please do and. But everyone, please listen in on this one. It's 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 important. And if you think you're invincible to certain things, uh, like we all do, probably, or it did at one point in our lives, Jeff, you want to share? There's been a recent fork in the road about 30 days ago now, give or take a few. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it happened to be uh, involving the pandemic. Yeah. So um, thank you, Brent. So. I guess probably a little more than it's probably in the neighborhood of 40 or so days ago. Um, I, uh, I've lived kind of a, um, a, a very private, quiet life with my wife for the last year to try to avoid, you know, getting COVID as, as much as we could, but still things to do, got to buy food and got to go to work every now and again. Um, so, um, I started coming down with symptoms, um, and assumed at first that it was a cold because I didn't have loss of taste and I didn't have any body aches. Um, and a little background, I'm, I'm not gonna say how old Brent is, but I'm 54, uh, probably, you know, um, ideally maybe 15 pounds over the weight that I'd like to be. I just enjoy a good beer too much, you know? Uh, but other than that, absolutely no underlying uh, health concerns whatsoever. Hadn't really been to the doctor in 30 years. Um, so, um, my conditions continued to worsen over the next week or so, and uh, I decided that I needed to get tested to see if it was COVID or not. So I did get um, a rapid test taken care of. Um, they kind of botched the results and forgot to get back to me. So that was a little bit of a delay, um, but it turns out it was positive. And, and uh, um, fortunately for me, and this is really important, I called one of my friends who works in healthcare and told him that I was positive. And he immediately brought me a pulse oximeter, uh, which is a little device you can put on your finger to, to figure out if your blood oxygen is, is, is low or, or in the right uh, area. And it was low. Uh, I was in the, in the like 93 range and it should be 98 to 100. 
Um, so that gave me some concern. And we called uh, kind of like the Ask a Nurse online service. Um, excuse me. Um, they immediately got me some oxygen. So a portable uh, little oxygen concentrator that puts out um, one, two, or three liters a minute of oxygen through um, this nasal cannula like this. And it worked for a day or so. And then even at three liters, you know, I couldn't get my, I just couldn't keep my oxygen up in a, in a safe range. So we went to the emergency room and uh, first time we went in, they put me on a stronger oxygen there and then just released me. Uh, so we went back the next morning and, uh, and I was in the, at that point in the mid eighties um, and they admitted me. So, and that, um, I guess for the next maybe five or six days, it was a slow and steady decline in my health. Um, I went from three liters to five, you know, to 10 a minute, to 20, to 40, to 60. Um, and at that point, it's, um, you don't feel very good. And it's pressurized air that they're basically pushing into your mouth and nostrils as fast as they can. Um, so, um, and also because of COVID, um, there's no visitors allowed while you're still in that um, infected stage or whether there, even if there's a chance you're in the infected stage, there's no visitors. So even my wife couldn't come up to see me. So um, a bit of a lonely time. And then um, I got that, I heard him talking and that um, in a regular hospital room, they typically don't administer oxygen at that level. It's typically ICU. And so the alarm started to go off in you know, my head that that can't be good if I'm going to the ICU with COVID. And they did a really good job of convincing me it was just standard procedure. And it kind of helped my mind get away from um, the reality of it, at least for a couple of days. And then I ended up, I think on a hundred liters of oxygen a minute through a CPAP mask. Um, that just was pushing air into your lungs as fast as it could. And I wasn't getting any better. Um, they had put me on an experimental drug. Uh, so one of the things about COVID that I didn't understand was that the virus does damage to your system. Um, but in a lot of people's cases, what actually does the most damage is your own immune system fighting the virus. And so in my case, they determined this right away that my immune system overreacted and literally just started destroying my lungs. So um, the virus was gone. About that time, my wife could come up and see me, which was great, but I was at my worst um, as far as breathing goes. And about that time, I started hearing the words intubation, um, which, um, you know, I'm not that dumb. I knew that was not a good thing, um, but the staff, Half of them wouldn't look you in the eye because they just, I think they knew it was bad and they didn't want you to know. And the other half just lied to you, which was great because um, it gave you some hope. Um, but uh, at that point, um, I, um, I knew I was bad and I knew, you know, intubation meant a pretty, excuse me, a pretty significant chance you're not going to make it. Um, and so I was, I, for a couple of days, 
Um, I just kept my cell phone in my hand constantly in bed. Um, just knowing that if they came in, I would just, you know, with the, with the machines, um, that I would be able to call my wife and, you know, my family and just tell them that I love them. Those, um, at that point you can't talk anymore. Um, and you may never talk again at that point. So, um, that was a real, that was a spooky moment for me. Um, you know, and, uh, and then fortunately, excuse me, fortunately, um, things stabilized. Um, they did end up taking me off of the experimental drug whose purpose was to again, stop my immune systems reaction because it was having some adverse effects with some internal organs. So they stopped that. And, uh, and then a few days later, my needs went down to 60 and then they went to 50. Um, and then eventually, um, I think by day 24, my needs for oxygen were down in the essentially zero if I was resting and maybe three or four um, to get up and walk to the bathroom. So at that point they felt that they could discharge me. So, and that's about eight days ago right now. So I still use oxygen, like to talk, um, but for the most part, I'm off oxygen. You know, if I'm just lounging around, pecking away at the computer or uh, watching TV. Right, right on. It's, and again, Jeff, we appreciate you sharing your, your journey. You've, uh, as a business owner, you've gone through plenty of journeys of which we'll touch on. We'll still, we'll, we'll go around there because you have a really pretty neat, pretty neat story to share, I think there as well, but nothing more important than one's health, family. Before we move on to the business, so that there is something that it, it touched a lot of us that are our, our buddies on Facebook. You had some interesting uh, get well and uh, some vids that came your way. Your Villanova Wildcat fan, I still always make fun of you that from, from the day because you were diehard, just like I'm a diehard Hawkeye fan. So we, yeah. we always poked each other a little bit back and forth in, in all due right. But hey, you had some videos come in and, and why don't you share with uh, you know who they were and the impact that it made on you. It had to make your day for, for gosh. It did. And I was pretty sick when this happened. Um, but a bunch of friends and family members um, just did some really unusual things. And um, one of them was my, my brother's wife's sister um, knew the athletic director at Creighton University because she played division one basketball there. And, and I don't know Becky very well. Um, met her a couple times is it. Um, she picked up the phone, called the athletic director and said, do you know the head coach at Villanova basketball? And he said, yes. And she said, would you please call him and ask if he'll make a video for Jeff? So um, out of the blue, I get sent to my phone, a, I don't know, 90 second video from the head coach of Villanova University that I've, you know, I've been a, as Brent will say, I've been a Villanova fan since I was maybe 12, 12 or 13 years old. And uh, he gave a shout out to me. Um, you know, uh, said that the Villanova University, be, the team would be praying for me and um, told me at the end of it that uh, he invited me to come watch a home game and he gave me tickets to a home game there. So that was, that was really cool. I'm also a Magnum PI fan. So I got uh, a video from one of the Magnum PI cast members. If you remember Rick from the old show, um, that was cool. I got one from Jose Canseco. Um, I got... 
I got one from the other day. One of my friends sent me one from Bo Derek, which I thought was really interesting. But uh, um, a number of those came in, and they just made my day when um, you know when I was on all those machines and you know um, instruments, and um, just made my day. So super thankful to everybody that went went out of their way to do that. Yeah, that was uh, you know having friends and family. I mean, you know, one call by one person, you know, you were introduced to and, and just a meaningful video. I mean, it, it, uh, I gotta tell you, it, it meant a lot just for me on the outside, looking in thinking, I knew you had a smile on your face is not as well as you, <laughs> as bad as you were feeling, but I knew it put a smile on your face among, among others. Now, Bo Derek did, uh, that was a weird one. Yeah. yeah. She still looks good though. <laughs> still looks good. You know, but one of the things I just want to stress throughout this whole process that has meant so much to me and my wife and my family is just how much my community of friends, and in some cases, people that I didn't even know, other than through social media, have come together to, you know, to chip in and do the work that I was doing around our little farmstead here. And just, I just can't say enough about how good people are. And it, you know, you lose track of that. You know, because the news makes people out to be villains, and and uh, and a lot of them are, but the vast, vast, vast majority of people on this earth are really good people that would do anything for anyone. So let's not lose track of that. That's a fact. Yeah, that's, and I knew you were going to mention that. That's that's beautiful. JT, do you have uh, you have something for for Jeff? Uh, Jeff, I just appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's not easy to you know talk about these things and. Um, you know, you brought up a great point that, you know, just the silver lining of all this is seeing how, you know, people at their, you know, a lot of people, you know, have a lot of good, you know, in them that, that we might not have known otherwise, yeah. but I'm just glad that, you know, glad that you're doing better and, you know, uh, not on oxygen full time. And, uh, that's, that's awesome to see, um, to see you recovering there. Did you meet other COVID patients that you, you know, followed their journey as well? I, you know, in the hospital, I did not, they didn't permit any of that. We were all isolated. So, I mean, I, you know, talking to the nursing staff, I learned about some other people that were in there and um, some, you know, I just want to stress to people that what happened to me is not the worst case scenario. There are, there are worse things that can happen. I mean, the next step is, you know, a respirator. Um, there were two people and there, there were some deaths while I was up there. Um, there were two people um, who had to, had to be put in a medically induced comas. Um, one was younger than me um, because their lungs had failed completely um, and they were waiting for double lung transplants. So how'd you like to get sick 10 days later? You're knocked out, you know, in a respirator and you wake up who knows when it could be weeks later before they find, you know, a match uh, with a new set of lungs, try to recover from that. So um, I know we all know COVID is a dangerous illness, but um, it's a, it's not only a bad way to die, it has lasting consequences for survivors. I mean, I've got, and I'm not complaining because I'm so happy to be alive, but I got six to nine months of work to hopefully get back to normal you know, and then um, not knowing what the long-term impact on organs is um, or the circulatory system, because I'm dealing with blood clots now too. So 
Um, stay safe, people, and get vaccinated if you can. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. That's an important message. And at this, as we're recording this, I'm awaiting here in, in May 5th, I get my second. So I'll, awesome. I'll there. it took a while to get in the, the first, first go around, but finally man, managed to do it. So great, great message, Jeff. And, and again, like we talked about from the open, this is no joke. It isn't, you know, we see people around the world, you know, not just in our, in our friendly uh, United States around the world suffering and, and, and not all having an opportunity to, to recover. And, and again, we feel invincible in our own way. We'll yeah. never get it. N none of that. You're as safe as probably my family, as well as, as Jared's, yeah. and, you know, how we handle our business. Yeah. One other thing I want to mention about COVID and I touched on it earlier, but the, the finger pulse oximeter, um, I, I know of at least three people right now that had COVID pretty bad cases didn't know to get one of those, um, they're 10 bucks, um, didn't know and just battled it out at home. Um, some of them, one of the cases was a couple of weeks of essentially bedridden at home. And um, one of the things that happens if you can't monitor your oxygen level and it drops below a certain level, typically 85, it will cause permanent damage to brains, your brain and organs. So you may think, you know, and then some of those people didn't even get diagnosed with COVID because they didn't want to go to the doctor. But, you know, now you're talking about, you know, COVID brain fog. You know, that's caused by a lack of, that's caused by a lack of oxygen to the brain. And, you know, yeah, you're a survivor, um, but that can be permanent. So um, take care of yourself. Get one of those pulse oximeters. Just go order it today and have it show up. They last forever and you never know when you're going to need it. Great, great message. And, and for those of you listening, you can always uh, wish Jeff well. You can find him on Facebook. Yes, he is, has always been, as far as I remember, um, a private person. That doesn't mean that, that he is exclusive only to his uh, close friends and family. He's just, he's just operated that way. And uh, I am exclusive to good people, though. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. He, some things yeah. never change, man, you know, and he's, he's been that way. And it's one of the things that, uh, that's why he has a lot of very, very close friends that mean a lot to him. JT. Jeff, I'd love to hear more about your story. So you and Brent went to college together. You guys were in a fraternity together. I'd love mm -hmm. to hear more about where you went after college and, and, uh, you know, your journey over the years. So after college, I went to the business school at the University of South Dakota, graduated without any high honors or anything like that, um, but got through in pretty good shape. Um, and upon graduation, I started looking for a job. And it turns out the recruiters weren't really coming to Vermilion, South Dakota, uh, which was a problem. So the best job that I got offered in 1989 was the job doing inner city collections for the IRS uh, with a gun uh, oh, wow. at $7 an hour. And uh, that didn't sound too appealing to me. So as it turns out, my parents had a small retail store and they were inching closer, you know, towards retirement, I guess. And they didn't want to do it anymore. So they offered to sell me that store on a contract for deed. Um, it was just straight retail in a mall. Um, and I just didn't really have any other options. So 
I bought it from them. Um, and it went really, really well. Um, I think we were the fastest growing store in the mall the two years that I owned it, uh, sold it, um, made a little money. Um, and then um, I started a wholesale business uh, with my father uh, as a minority partner in that, uh, which is just wrought with problems. As you can imagine, we were two very similar personalities um, and I had final say. Um, so trying to overrule your dad uh, sometimes isn't uh, the most enjoyable thing in the world. So to his credit, he um, sold me his 20% and said, I'm just going to work for you. So um, hats off to dad, wherever you are these days. Um, appreciate that. And uh, so I worked in that business for, I think, 17 years. Um, pretty hard. We ended up building it up into a pretty good sized business. I think we had, you know, I mean, not by most standards, but 60 or 70 employees. Um, we did business in a bunch of states and maybe a handful of overseas countries as well. We purchased some stuff overseas and also sold a few things. So and that was fun. Um, and I ended up, not, the not fun part of it was, I decided we'd gotten growth wise to the point where we needed uh, more financing than I was comfortable taking more, taking on debt. Um, we had an opportunity to grow really quickly. So I ended up selling the business to a much larger company um, under the agreement that I would still run it, uh, that division of it, and they would provide resources. So um, I made a stupid mistake, um, sold them the business essentially for um, inventory um, and, and assets. <clears throat> um, and with the assumption that I would get paid out over the next three years of my employment contract. And uh, unfortunately they fired me right away, paid me for my three years, said thanks a lot, and then filed bankruptcy. So um, it didn't quite work out the way that I had hoped it would, but anyway, live and learn. I would be a terrible rich guy anyway. So it worked out for the best. Um, so that kind of wrapped up <laughs> that portion of my life. Um, maybe not on the best note, um, but in hindsight, I'm really happy that that happened because I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it hadn't. I wouldn't know the people that I do. I wouldn't be married to the person that I am. I mean, so um, it worked out for the best. Um, so, excuse me. Jeff, we'll, we'll give you a, Jeff. We'll give you a chance to catch up and and take a take a drink or so. So. Folks, that that's a right there. That's a a ton of ton of information to unpack. But building a business, some way somehow, there's going to be an end game, and the end game can be phenomenal. It can be uh, it, it'll come. You know that whole path of 17 years, tons of work, probably a lot of long hours. You didn't keep track of what day it was because every day just happened. It's sun up, sun down. Next day type stuff I would imagine, I would imagine. but you got to you got to spend some more time that most people don't have that opportunity to spend with your with your dad you know I'll be yep. I'll, yeah. I'll it might have been some battering rams going back and forth a little bit sure. know, in a yep. father-son way but all right so you you sell you sell your biz Jeff and 
and okay, moved on lesson learned, right. Moved yeah. on. It's something I'll, I'll never forget. And I think this kind of runs, runs together. You and your bride decided to buy a sailboat. Yeah. Yeah. She had been going through kind of the same thing at work where she, she just was not getting the satisfaction out of it. So, um, and I, I didn't have much to do. I had a little bit of money in the bank. Um, nobody was going to hire a, somebody that didn't president of a company for 17 years. That was a stretch. So I was trying to figure out what to do. And she just made the decision that um, we were going to buy a sailboat and chuck everything. Um, so we did our, we did our best to do that. Um, the one thing we couldn't sell was our house because it was right after the housing crisis of, I guess, 2009. So we just rented it out and that was fine. Um, bought a boat in San Francisco. Um, never sailed anything anywhere near that big. Never been on the ocean. And we just figured that out uh, and then uh, headed off south. Jeff, I'll let you catch your breath there. Uh, but I, Brent, I think that may be forks in the road that we've ever had on the show and then we sold everything and bought a boat i mean that's just <laughs> I, I like where this is going yeah. <laughs> it, it was a reset switch for us um we just needed something different and uh, so we, we intended to sail to initially we intended to, to sail to australia and so we got down as far as I guess, well, we got to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and um, we bought a, a, we bought a 1980 sailboat, which was a nice boat. It was an older boat for sure, needed some work. And we got, we got there and almost sank it, which was kind of interesting because we were tied to the dock when that happened. Um, so we had a weird water siphon situation and uh, literally engine completely underwater. So it took us a couple of months to get everything rebuilt and head south. And at that point, we kind of missed the window to head to the South Pacific weather-wise. So we ran into some bad weather, decided to turn around and munch it. And then decided to park the boat and take a vacation from a vacation and come home. And uh, we bought an old farm decided we wanted to grow vegetables and try to make a living at that. So never really even back to the boat for short periods of time, but it's still there, but um, we're kind of tethered to the land now. The uh, Jeff, I'll pick, I'll pick it up here a little bit and catch your breath. And Hey, one thing about an entrepreneur spirit here, you're looking at it right now. Here, here's a, here's a gentleman that, that uh, took on a, 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 a virus that, some folks, um, it may it may not be such a uh, setback, but someone like Jeff and others, you know, we can't forget about others that uh, may have not been uh, even survivors. But that entrepreneur spirit, Jeff, I got to think that toughness in you, and I know you, you know, I always like to say South Dakota tough, and and but to build a business, seventeen years in, amazing thing, and then all of a sudden. Hey, let's go try something else. Heck, we've never put a sailboat, you know, in a lake, let alone the ocean. You and your bride do that. My God, Jared, you're a traveler. You and your family are travelers. I, I just see you smiling because of that. But the, and then all of a sudden, 
even though you're in South Dakota, you know, everyone may think there's still, uh, there's no bathrooms, only outhouses, but uh, I, I know it's certainly different. There's a progressive city up there called Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That is pretty progressive, very white collar, by the way. And, yeah. and uh, maybe by, by some definitions, uh, definitions, not so, but Jeff and his bride buy a farm doing organic farming primarily all vegetables right you know i don't even yeah. know how how many acres uh, you guys uh, plant out now well we've learned a lot of lessons over the years and the first is that people don't like vegetables <laughs> uh so we're both vegetarians so we just didn't grasp that so at first first year i think we grew we literally did like three or four acres and it was just us doing it and then we grew to i think at one point we had 21 acres of vegetables you know, and when you're small and it's, you know, 21 acres is 200 or 300 different varieties of things. There's no equipment for that. So it's just manual labor. So um, that was at our biggest. And now we're again, back to a much smaller focused on um, a very small clientele. So I think we're maybe six or seven acres now. Yeah. The, the cool, the cool thing that you were doing, you had some family plots out there, right? So people bring probably, you know, couples would bring their kids out there and you gave them an opportunity to pick their own vegetables. Did I read all that right? We have tried to do everything we can do to get people involved with local agriculture and eating better. So yes, we've tried a million different things, um, including that. Yep. Yeah. That, that was pretty neat. I can imagine, you know, my, my kids, you know, they're city kids, you know, so when they get out to the farm, it's, it's uh, it's a playground for them. So I can imagine, you know, what, what you're trying to provide for them. All right. So you continue to work on on your farm, not just you, but your bride, both both of you working a lot on it. The yep. um, you've rebuilt. Well, last year there was a tornado or bad winds, right? That you had to you had to yeah. work through that crap. Yeah, we got really lucky. We've been restoring a 125 year old barn. Um, and the contractor had the barn jacked up off the foundation uh, to redo the foundation. And uh, we had a, a small tornado come through early June and knocked a whole bunch of trees down and a couple of buildings. And for some reason, didn't push that old barn off the foundation. So uh, he set her back down there real quick and got it finished up. And uh, so we've been working on that now for um, we've been doing a lot of the work ourselves, but um, it's going to be a cool little barn that we use for events on the farm moving forward. Yeah. So I, I had seen, and then I'm going to flip this back to Jared. I had seen where weddings, other events, yeah. I mean, that's a cool, you know, even down here in Texas, we see that, right, Jared, these, mm -hmm. these uh, opportunities to go out and kind of the, you know, country setting or just far enough away from the city where it feels like country, but cool events. And and I see that you guys are doing that. What a, what a great way to showcase, not just a farm, but, giving people an opportunity to do maybe something a little bit different, even though a lot of people in South Dakota know what a farm is all about, but provide something really cool. And by the way, the work that you've done on that barn is pretty darn awesome. I've seen pics. Well, I can't wait to share a beer with you in there then. Oh. So Jeff, I find it so interesting that you guys uh, did something as risky as, you know, going and living on a boat for a while. <laughs> and that after doing that, instead of saying, Hey, we're going to go back to, you know, suburbia or some kind of normal life. He said, all right, let's go ahead and start a farm. <laughs> and uh, a little bird told me that you're a, a self-proclaimed animal hoarder. Is that, is that correct? That is unfortunately true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't have any, well, I got a few birds, maybe 50 or 60, but 
what was yeah. it maybe that bird escaped and no, i'm just kidding what how many uh animals you said did you say 50 or 60 animals well no we got there's probably 50 or 60 chickens and some ducks um we've got we don't have as many animals as i would like um we do have a couple of pet pigs that are like a thousand pounds each uh, a pet cow pet horse a couple of donkeys um i think there's these feral cats keep showing up so we fix them and feed them and I think there's a dozen or so of those and uh, some dogs and a deer. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, I bet that's a that's lot a strange, of work. I bet that's a lot of work tending to all those animals. It's a lot less work in the, in the summertime for sure when the that's grass right. is growing. Um, in the wintertime, you know, breaking ice. Brent grew up on a farm, you know, breaking ice and slipping five gallon buckets isn't that much fun. So, but they're worth it. We don't have any children, so we kind of just call them our kids. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's uh, also helps keep uh, both of you in shape, right? Nonstop. I mean, I yeah, yeah, I, I get it, yeah. I, I get it, and and you know that that stuff is really that's really neat to me, and especially city folk if they could ever go experience something like that at at your mm-hmm. farm. Maybe it's maybe it's just a uh, family gathering or a party or some sort. I know that's uh, some of the things that you guys are, are lining, lining up. All right. Before we, we jump off, um, Jeff, you're, you're working for a nonprofit as well, right? I, I know those things are important to you. You want to talk a little bit about your nonprofit? So I've been working for a company called um, IEC Dakotas which stands for the Independent Electrical Contractors Association. So um, we do two things. One of them I'm not super proud of, but it's just part of my job. So I am a registered lobbyist in North and South Dakota. And occasionally I get to go to the legislature and ask them for some sort of change or modification to a law. That's very rare. Um, And then the other part of it is um, we run apprentice training programs throughout the upper Midwest for electricians. So um, we teach guys to become professional electricians through a four-year program. Um, we have classrooms and teachers hired and um, in an online program. So it's incredibly gratifying to watch these young men and a few women, you know, who maybe didn't do well in school, but you know, once they grasp how this works, um, end up ha- you know having really successful careers, making a lot of money. Um, you know, raising a family. Um, uh, it's a really, for me, it's a really feel good job. Um, and, and that's, you know, Brent, you've kind of alluded to this, but my wife and I are both to the point in our lives where we're just not going to do anything that doesn't make us feel good or isn't beneficial. There's, there's no amount of money that could make us do it. So we're both, you know, other than this COVID, we're both in a really happy place right now. And I, I'm the happiest of all. I'm alive. And that was, you know, that was up for debate a few weeks ago. So um, I'm arguably the happiest dude on earth. Jeff, I find it fascinating how you said that, um, you know, there's no amount of money in the world that would, you know, cause you to change your lifestyle. Um, I was at a church a couple of weeks ago and the pastor said that uh, he, he said that, um, he asked people uh, if they would, he basically what he said is that everyone has something that's worth millions of dollars. And of course it got everyone's attention. And um, they said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, if you've got your life, if you've got your spouse, you know, 
if that was up for grabs or even, you know, your eyesight, you know, how much money would you pay to get it back? And they say, well, $2 million if I had it. And he says, all right, then you have something that's worth $2 million. Yeah, that's true. Yep. You can build the value yourself. Just, you know, the equity is all on you. I agree completely. Yeah. I'm going to remember that quote right there, JT. We'll use, we'll use that uh, down the road. Equity is all on you. That's a good one, Jeff. I really like that. That will be written on your summary. And also, all have, go ahead. We just all have the opportunity to do, maybe not all the time, but to do good things and help people. And um, we all have that. It makes, it, it makes us feel good. It adds value to your life, adds value to other people's lives. So um, just... Find the time to to make yourself feel good and build some of your own equity. Jeff, you uh, pretty amazing story. And when I reached out to you, I somewhat hesitated, and I thought, well, you know, I know you, and you you've got a uh, you got a big heart. Whether it was going to be on this episode or one down the road a little bit, because I knew that you were still, uh, you know, you're a long ways away from uh, the recovery finish line, but you're you're working on it and it put smiles on my face just to see you getting better, you know, outside of the day that you got released. I mean, following you and your family has been, uh, been uplifting, you know, for a lot of us. And I see a lot of comments and when you get the head coach of Villanova, man, sending you a, a personal message, that is really cool. Farrah Fawcett, a little weird, but Hey, you know what? Um, I hope you don't have that poster anymore. Maybe your bride made you get rid of that. When, uh, when you got married. <laughs> But you know what, folks, you know, here we have an entrepreneur, you know, he's been through hills and valleys, made a decision years ago. Hey, I'm, you know, sailboat's still around, but we're going to live on a farm and we're going to, we're going to do this and, and have a really quality of life. And I can't imagine someone being better at working a nonprofit than you. And that is really neat because I think the trade association, the trade jobs out there or professions, the last 25 years have really been kind of pushed off just as important today as computer technology it just is for sure they have to happen they have to happen absolutely yep yeah there's a friend of mine down here that's uh that's a plumber and and he's an advocate talks all about that all the time he's on social media a ton and 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 what have you i don't mean to go down that rabbit hole but jeff i'll make sure also people know where to find you on twitter you know, and I don't even have that one. So that was a new one to me when I saw it. So that, that, that'll be cool. But Jeff, great message, uh, not only on the business side, but personal side and folks again, Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeff was very careful. He and his family were very careful and somehow, some way COVID found, uh, found it, found him. And, and, you know, I didn't ask you this. I don't think your wife, uh, caught it. Did she? So interestingly, yeah, my wife gave it to me. Ah, all right. She, we still don't know how, you know, she works at home, occasionally goes to the grocery store, but she had a super mild case of it, um, sniffles for maybe a day and a half. And that was it. And we didn't think anything of it. She never had a fever. She never had anything else. So we just assumed it was a cold. Um, and then turns out it was not. So yeah, this is on her. Well, and you still love her. So, and she loves you. So I do. All, yep. all, all good there. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining Breaking Business Barriers, a special edition, I might add, episode 97. On behalf of Jeff Kirstein, our guest, and myself, Brent Duhame, along with Jared Ty, it is uh, definitely always going to be upward and onward. Thanks all, and you all take care. Thanks, guys.